say a word real quickly before you. I know where my sermon's going, and uh, I'm going to ultimately end on that point about surrender. So many of us in this church, we understand what that means. I mean, surrender is a sweet thing. It's a good thing. But I want to take a moment, because maybe you're new to the church, or maybe you're new to Christianity. When we say, I surrender all, or I surrender, we're not saying, oh, I give up, God. I can't figure this out. That's fatalism. That has no hope, no joy. That's just like, well, you're God, and you're going to do what you're going to do. Sometimes we get there. Many of the prophets, the psalmists, they raised their hands and said, I don't understand why this is this way. It's okay for you to throw your questions to God, but it's not okay to question God. See, God is ultimately good, and He is wise, and He's our creator, and He's our maker, and we have questions. He can handle them. So when we say, I surrender, let me tell you what we mean. We, we in effect, are saying, God, I'm giving this all to you. I'm surrendering all my why questions. I'm still going to keep asking them. But I'm surrendering all my grief, all my anger, all my anxiety, all my worry, all my whatever, all my questions. I'm surrendering. And here's the good news. And it is good news. And every Christian in this room would say, give me the mic and I'll tell you about it. Here's the good news. When you surrender not until God provides this supernatural stuff and it is supernatural it's from the outside coming in this supernatural stuff called the peace that passes understanding an inner peace comes in that you can't even explain that you didn't have yesterday when you surrender he floods your soul with a new joy even in the middle of the sorrow where there was hopelessness a living hope we're about to sing about that. Folks, we don't gather every Sunday because we don't have anything to do on Sunday morning. We gather because we serve a God who has promised that He wants to know us and He wants us to know Him. And He is a living hope. So when we say we surrender, it's like the sweetest step of faith. And really, we're doing it like this. Okay, I surrender. And we already know our God is about to provide the answers. He is a living hope. Whew, that song has particular meaning today, doesn't it? Um, I would like to pray and read a scripture from the words of Jesus and then jump right into the message, okay? So, um, Father God, I pray that you would have your way. You know that uh, when Pastor Tim and I met earlier today, we just sensed that you want us to, to be sensitive to what you want to accomplish today. And so, Lord, I pray that there will be people in this room that their lives would be different because they were here today. Maybe you. Lord, cause lives to be different because we are here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the words of Jesus Christ, told a, he told a story, a parable, and I want to open with this and then I'll... I'll return and end with it. Just listen. He says, uh, then he told him this parable. A man had a fig tree. And of course, they, they ate the figs back then. So a man had a fig tree, which had been planted in his vineyard. It's the parable of Jesus. And when this man came looking for fruit, for figs on it, he couldn't find any. 
So the man said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, it's been three years. I come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does, this, uh, why does, it, why does it even use up the ground? It kind of sounds very human, doesn't it? I've been working on this tree. It should have had fruit. It's been three years. It's just taking up space. And the, but the vineyard, uh, the guy who was taking care of the vineyard, he said, he answered and he said, leave it alone, sir, for one more year. And I'll, I'll dig around it and I'll put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. So that's the story of Jesus. That's the, we're going to open and start with that. Um, first of all, I'm going to offer my apologies. I'm also battling the molds, sinus infection, all that. Tried my best to do no spray, and yeah, that's just like, oh. So if you hear me sniffling, just please, my apology up front. I won't mention it again as I go on. But sometimes there's, there's other reasons you start to sniffle, you know? And uh, what I want to start with is, is Tim's kind of alluded to it. We've kind of talked around it. Um, you know, she, when I went to Yoakum to visit my mother, she asked about it. But if you haven't heard, there was a murder in our area right here. Uh, down Teuton Beauregard, there was a, a mother and two kids were murdered. Uh, the girl's name, one of the girl's names was London. And if you were at our Christmas drama, you saw her. She was in the drama. Um, she's friends with um, Heather Serwin, knew the mother. I believe her name was Nicole. Uh, we don't know many of the details except that two kids were murdered and their mother just a couple days ago. And, uh, you know, uh, many of the people that were in the drama, many of our teenagers over here, I mean, you can see them over here and it's, it's like you're in shock because it's like, wait a minute, I knew this person. We laughed with this person. Um, she was the dark-haired girl, was about 10 years old. Ironically, she was playing the churchy girl who wanted the role and it was given to the family that didn't know Jesus, right? Here's the ironic part. Her family didn't actually go to church on a regular basis. The witness they had were people like Heather that were always reaching out to her and inviting her and talking to her. I think Heather said you knew her like 10 years, right? So here's the ironic part. She was playing the churchy girl who didn't normally go to church, but she was here during that drama, and did, did she get to hear the gospel? Did she get to hear the gospel? Yes, she did. So thank you for those of you who give time to do these dramas and make ways to do that. You never know who's listening. None of us are promised tomorrow. So I, I had a uh, sermon series we're going through called uh, you know, Conquering Procrastination. And today I was going to talk about priorities. I was going to talk about how you know, what you set your aim at is what you're going to hit. <laughs> so you better think about whether those priorities are right or not. And I think one of the priorities we should always have is, and we say that as we prepare, we say structure submits to the spirit. And what we mean by that is, Tim and I took a, take a lot of time to prepare the service. We put a lot of structure. The Holy Spirit is in preparing the structure. But the Holy Spirit can come interrupt your structure at any time. Evil has a way of interrupting our lives. When death comes calling, it always, it always stuns us, shocks us. Even if it's someone like my dad who is dying of chemotherapy for a long time. But when you get that news, it's like, ah, oh, it just kind of, 
interrupts our life. And it always, always generates questions. I was talking with, um, uh, briefly with uh, Dose, our police officer, right? Would you wave, Dose? Yeah. Hope you don't mind me sharing this. I didn't ask permission. Okay, thank you. Um, he had heard about the murder, of course, too, and he reflected on how he was out at Sutherland Springs. Remember that church where all those people were killed? He was out there like an hour after it happened and was just talking about some of the people that had gone in there. Folks, when evil happens, questions come, do they not? And so today, I want to I interrupt our sermon series, if you will, to address some of those questions that come to our minds. Because the truth of the matter is, if we don't answer them, if we don't have the answers, and we don't take time to answer the hard questions, people are going to look somewhere else. And the world and the devil are more than willing, more than willing to give answers. Let me emphasize that again, because sometimes, sometimes as Christians, we want to shy away from the hard questions and just say, well, you know, who knows why this happened, right? You know, God will, I guess God will work it all out. That is not a satisfying answer. And they are going to ask that question to someone else. And they're going to find worldly wisdom or Satan is going to be more than willing to fill in. Well, here's what it sounds like. Well, if God was good, why does he let evil happen? Maybe he's not powerful enough to take care of it. Or if he is powerful enough, boy, he must be a rotten God to let this evil happen. So why are you going to church? Satan is more than willing to ask questions and answer them. Now, it's beyond the scope of a short sermon to answer all the questions to full satisfaction. But we can put the truth out there and point you in the right direction, okay? So when stuff like this happens, whether it's the murder of, of, of someone you know or just the murder of kids, how awful, or some other tragedy, plane crash, car accident, cancer report. Or maybe it's not death. I did everything right and I got fired. I got laid off. And the scum that played the game, he's, he's successful. There's all kinds of things in this world that don't go right. And when the news comes crashing down, if you will, when the roof collapses, when the storm arrives, when the phone, you know, I, I was going to say when the phone rings, but sometimes it's when it dings and you get the text, right? I can tell you there's, there's generally four big things that are going to happen, and you'll recognize them. First, you will be stunned. You'll be shocked. You'll be numb, right? What? What? No. Is this a prank? What? And it's just, that, that's kind of what happens when bad news is just like, it's a human reaction. Sometime after that numbness, that, that stun, that shock, that, oh, is this real? The emotions come. Sorrow. And then sorrow brings a lot more with it. Tears, grieving, how could this happen? God, where were you? you know, and, there's, and then with sorrow comes all kinds of other emotions, Right? Um, and it's just different for every person. Some go into uh, kind of a, kind of a, I don't care. You just get kind of depressed, despair. Some get angry, raising your fist against God. 
Some start to ask all the questions and they start to worry. But I'm just saying that after the stunned, you get sorrow and some emotions. Then after that, <laughs> after that comes the questions. What's the first question you think everybody has? You know it too. Some for, version of the why question. Some version of the why question, right? Um, you know, things like, um, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you answer my prayers? I've been praying about this situation. Why didn't I do more? And then it gets to ultimately that, that fourth phase, the healthy phase, if you can, after shock, that sorrow and emotions and the why questions, at some point, God willing, and you can't rush this, but you know it's coming, you get back to that place of what we just talked about, a place of surrender, a place of saying, God, I don't have all the questions. So with that in mind, I want to walk through this very quickly. Um, what should we do? What should we do as Christians to help those that are going through that? So when someone is numb and they're shocked, really, you know, I was looking at the uh, Billy Graham handbook. He's got a handbook on how to help people through grief. And, and more than telling you what to do, he tells you what not to do. If, I, if you thought about it, you probably already know these. What not to do. Don't offer shallow, trite answers. Um, you know, don't offer a, a, you know, a quick Bible verse that you think is going to make everybody think feel better. You know, when somebody is in numb and they're shocked, what they normally need is the power of presence. They just need somebody to sit with them. Just sit with them. You'll see that over here like the youth. I just, I'm just sitting with you. And if a person wants to talk, you talk. If the person wants to cry, you cry. If they want to vent, listen. If they want to vent, let them vent. You know, God's not afraid of our honesty. One of the reasons I'm a Christian and why I put one, one of the top five reasons I'm a Christian is because I read in the Old Testament where people could be honest with their emotions. I read Habakkuk the prophet saying, why God, why do the unjust seem to swallow up the just? I read Jeremiah saying, God, you told me this promise and then here I am. I got, you said you're going to be with me always and I was going to be like a, a rock for you and look, here I was arrested, beaten, put in stocks. God, you deceived me. You tricked me. I don't even want to speak your name anymore. That's in the Bible. Not only is it that in the Bible, Jeremiah wrote it so I could read it. Why? You know, in my journal, I wrote down, God, thank you that Jeremiah recorded this prayer. Because down here on this earth, on this sin-infested, broken world, there are too many days where I'm just stunned, shocked, questioning, wondering. Now, they're not all like that. I'm generally pretty optimistic. If you know me, I'm a pretty optimistic person, and I believe in the sovereignty of God, right? But as a friend of mine says, life is messy. So if someone begins to vent or complain or even use bad theology like good old Job, don't correct their theology. This is not the time to correct their theology. This is the time to do what the Bible says, mourn 
with those who are mourned. Be sad with those who are sad. Do you know anyone that did that like our Lord and Savior? Do you remember when Mary and Martha had a brother that died? They had sent a message to Jesus. Jesus, the one whom you love, how's that? The one who you know, Lazarus, is sick. Now remember, Martha and Mary knew all the stories. They probably remembered the story about that Roman soldier. He's not even a Jew. He's not even going to the synagogue. And when he came to, when, when he had a servant that was sick, Jesus went to go heal that servant because Jesus has compassion. And the centurion said, you don't even have to come. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. I'm sure Mary and Martha thought, send word to the Lord Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. Just say the word, Jesus, he'll be okay. Instead, the Bible records in John chapter 11 that Jesus stayed away intentionally. He did not answer the prayer. He didn't tell them what was going on. And Mary and Martha watched their brother take his last gasping breath and die. And still there was no word from Jesus. And all that day and the next day, they prepared their brother for, for a funeral. Still, nothing from Jesus. Day one, day two, day three. Was it the fourth day? Is that right in John chapter 11? Fourth day, Jesus finally shows up. Martha, who's the doer, runs out to meet him. And she makes it known amidst all the, the good Christian platitudes, you know, you know, you're the, I trust you. Amidst all that, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Is that not the same question? Why, God, you could have prevented this? What did Jesus do? Anybody remember? It's the shortest, let me give you a hint. The kids will know. The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He wept. Even though he knew he was about to do a miracle and call Lazarus right back out of the grave. Now, please let that sink in. Please don't forget this life lesson. He knew within a couple of hours everything was going to be okay and they were going to have a party, right? But at that moment when Martha's grieving, did he say, God's going to work all things together for good. You just have faith and believe. No, he, what was the worst? When people are in sorrow and they're shocked, the best thing you can do is meet emotion with emotion. Weep with them. Let them cry on your shoulder. Tell them that you care. You know, I'm not the best at expressing my emotions. I've gotten better over time. But a lot of times I'll say something like this because I get to hear too many of these stories. I'll say, I, I really, I know there aren't any words I could say, so I'm just offering my condolences and I just, I'm care and I'm here for you if you need me. Just like that. I don't ask them, hey, how can I help you? Because you, you don't want to put pressure on them, right? You just say, I, there are no good words. I offer my condolences and I care. That's it. Okay. Y'all got that part? Jesus wept. Care for him. Now let's get to the hard part. Why? Why did God let that happen? They've already grieved their sorrow. Maybe they're in the middle of it. Why? 
Why would God let that happen? Can I please implore you to not say something first? Okay? I implore you to not say this, which I've heard on pretty much every TV show every time there's a strategy. I mean, a, a tragedy. I'll hear some form of this, and they'll cut to some Christian or some priest or some pastor. Why did God let this say? What, what possible reason could there be? And you know what the guy will say? We just, you know, we don't know. Things are just kind of senseless. We don't know. Now, I'm encouraging you not to say that for a reason. Okay? Because it's partly true. We don't know all the details. We don't know the backstory. Right? Okay? But folks, we do know. We do know why evil is present in this world. And we do know that sin has brought death and corrupted this world. And the short answer, and I'm speaking to Christians right now. I'm speaking to Christians. If I was mourning with somebody who's not a believer, I would start in a different place and this would be a conversation down the road. But to the Christian church, to Leon Springs Baptist, yeah, you want to know, you want to know why there's evil in the world? Because sin is in the world. And this is a sin-infested, broken world. And it will be broken and corrupted by sin until the day that Jesus returns. He's already offered salvation, a down payment to you and I, but he's promised to make creation the way it was supposed to be to restore the whole thing. It's in Romans. God has a cosmic plan to save us and make us right and put things back the way they are. In Revelation 21, it describes a place where there are no more tears, no more death, no more sadness. Praise God, come quickly, Jesus, and make it so. But until then, until then, why does this happen? Because it is a sin-infested, broken world filled with things that are not the way they're supposed to be. So bad things happen to the good and the bad. And there are glimpses of grace. And yes, God is in control, but he has chosen to allow free will and this to play out. He tells so many stories. Uh, things like the parable in, I think it's Matthew 13, where he says, there was one who sowed good seed. And then right after him, the enemy came behind and sowed bad seed. And the workers came and said, what should we do? Should we go pull the whole thing up? That means like kill everything. And Jesus says, oh, no, no. Let them both grow up to the end times. And then at the very end times, we'll separate. And the good will go to their eternal place with God. And the others will go to, they'll go to hell. They'll go to that, that place that was made for Satan and the demons. And all, the ones that will go with him are those that reject God. So, why does it happen? Because this is not a playground on this earth. This is actually a battlefield. This is a place where the forces of good and evil are playing out the great chapter that we, we, will, get to, we will get to see and understand when we get on the other side and look back. And you and I have a marvelous place, a role in this drama. You and I are called to exhibit grace and truth 
to be light in the middle of this darkness, to be salt, to be a voice of hope, to be a voice of comfort. Now, I was looking at helpful strategies uh, in this Billy Graham booklet somebody gave me on you know, how to minister during grief and bereavement. And I was reading this one and it said, you know, if the inquirer, the person who's asking the why question, is, you're not sure if they're a Christian or not, listen to what it says and see what you think. Again, this is the Billy Graham kind of handbook. It says, if the inquirer is a, uh, not a Christian or you're not sure, emphasize that to be properly prepared for death, a person must make that all-important decision about his or her relationship with God in this lifetime. Invite him, and her, him or her to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then he uh, points him to the steps of peace. Now, I got a confession. When I read that, I thought, ouch. I mean, they're in the middle of dealing with pain. How does that strike you when you hear that, that we need to, we need to help everybody? As a good, one of the most loving things we can do is help people to get ready for death. Because de- you've just heard somebody died. Part of me thought, wow, that sounds harsh. And the other part I thought was good. Well, let me just begin where I ended with that story about the fig tree. See, Jesus told that parable. But right before that, he told about some life events that had just happened, and then he told the parable. I want to read you all that he said. It's in Luke chapter 13. It says this. Now on that same occasion, there were some present who reported to him that, that Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. That's a fancy way of saying some Jews, some Galileans, had been murdered by the Roman governor Pilate while they were offering their sacrifices. So somebody had come to Jesus and in effect said, hey Jesus, let me tell you about this tragedy where these people that were trying to serve you got murdered. In effect, asking what? Why did this happen? Okay. Luke chapter 13, verse 2. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that those Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered that fate? So his first question, or his answer back to him is, Do you think they were any worse than anybody else? And then he says this in verse 3. And remember the Billy Graham thing. We need to emphasize and let people know that everyone needs to be properly prepared for death. When tragedy strikes, one of, the, one of our messages should be, not at the moment, right? Mourn with them, cry with them. But ultimately, we need to help people to see, you need to be prepared to meet death. It can sneak up on you at any time. Listen again to the words of Jesus. Jesus said to them, Do you suppose those Galileans were greater sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Wow. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Jesus continues. Or do you suppose that those 18 people who were killed when the tower fell on them and killed them, were they worse culprits than all the other men that lived in Jerusalem? So he refers to another strategy where 18 people died seemingly senselessly. And Jesus says, I tell you no. And listen, because this is for someone. Unless you repent, 
you all likewise perish. Unless you repent, unless you say, God, I'm going to use this moment where all these people have died, this tragedy, unless I repent, unless I change my mind and change my direction, that's what repent means. I've been living life my way. I'm just kind of doing my life my way. I'm not against God, but I'm doing... Repent means I surrender. I don't fully understand it, but I surrender, and I'm going to come your way. Jesus says, unless you repent, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he told them this parable. And this is where I want to end. And then he told them this parable, which is where I started. A man had a fig tree, which had been planted in a vineyard. And he came looking to see if there was fruit on it. The tree is you and I. And God is saying, I'm your maker. I planted you. And I'm coming to see, are you doing any fruit? Are you doing anything for my kingdom? Are you going in my direction? And he began... He was looking for fruit, but he couldn't find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, it's been three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree. I've been patient. I've been waiting. I've been sowing into your life. I've been looking for fruit for this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up this ground? But the vineyard keeper said, Let it alone, sir, for this year too. And I'll dig around it and I'll put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. So, so even though I feel personally uncomfortable telling you that when tragedy happens, when death comes knocking, one of the messages we have to have, mourn with those that mourn, be there for them. Answer their intellectual questions. But the third one is, would you be ready to meet your maker? Have you repented? Because that's what Jesus asked. And what I'm saying is that even if I'm personally uncomfortable, you're personally uncomfortable, we have the example of Jesus Christ himself who makes the point that in the middle of these tragedies, that is the time to remind people, we're all going to die. The question is, have you repented? Will you use this moment to think about God and turn towards your maker? You know, um, Watch so much I'd like to say. (laughs) Um, Every Christian in this room had a moment where they uh, crossed the line. They'd been hearing about God. Many of you grew up in church and then you went and sowed your wild oats. You kind of did your own life. And at some point, some tragedy brought you back. And you're like, you know, I need to surrender. It's the same story, but it looks a little bit different. There's a moment where people basically say, okay, God, you've been knocking at the door of my heart. I don't have all the answers. I'm not sure, but I can see you're after me. I've been doing good things for you, but I've been holding back. There's a moment where you surrender. Why not today? Why not today? 
you know, I was talking with Heather briefly about this, and because she she knew Nicole and London and this family. And one of the things that God does, and I don't know how He does it, but He does it. He takes this great evil and somehow can make something good come out of it. People getting murdered, that's not good. People getting murdered is not God's will. To try and say, well, it happened, it must be God's will. No, there is sin and evil that happens on this earth all the time. And it is God's will that none should perish and all come to a saving knowledge of him. It's what the Bible says. Can I say that again? His will, his wish, his desire is that none would perish, but all come to a saving knowledge of him. In Ezekiel, he pleads with them, why would you go die? Turn back, turn back and live. And yet in the middle of that, God says, I will give you free will so you can reject me or you can come to me. Why not today? Why not surrender? Why not recognize that you don't have tomorrow promised to you? I don't know where London is. I hope that as she heard this, I hope that she heard the witnessing, they made a profession of faith, and they're absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what I hope. That's what I pray. But the truth is, we don't know because they kept things at an arm's distance. We don't know because they never openly made a profession of faith that we know about. They were always open to talking about it, and maybe they prayed about it, but we don't know. When my dad was dying of cancer, man, I, I wanted to know. I think of uh, Amy who had some sisters that came here and she would make a point to ask them. And it was uncomfortable. But you know what? I'd rather have just a little bit of uncomfortable and, and, and trade that for people making the decision to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Because he's been knocking on the door of your heart. He's given you all the evidence you need. And he's just saying, why won't you turn? Why won't you trust me? Today is the day of salvation. Let it be today. Let it be today. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to let go of control. You have to surrender. Why not today? And some of you, you're Christians in here and you've been serving him, but you're holding on to something. Surrender and let go of that today. Today. Jesus is not mean when he says, yep, they all die, but let me ask you, to tell you the real question. The real question is, they're all going to perish. Did you repent? Did you turn to me? That's not mean. That's the nicest, most loving, kind thing Jesus could have said at that moment. Right? And so the most nice, loving, kind thing I can say right now is, would you turn to God? Would you repent and give him everything, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian right now? Today. Now, would you surrender? Would you pray with me? Father God, first of all, we lift up uh, those in that extended family with Nicole and London and that family and not only their extended family, but those that are in their friend circle. Oh God, may you raise up Christians who, who exhibit grace and truth to them. Oh God, if they don't know any Christians, would you be the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies? Would you intervene in their life situation? Lord, for those of us in this church that know, may you give us wisdom and courage to reach out to those that are hurting. God, may we be your hands and your feet. May we be the body of Christ in a very real way. 
But Lord, right now, I want to pray for those that have been keeping you at arm's distance. For those, Lord, that, that have never surrendered to you or, or they're prodigals and they're resisting you right now. Oh God, I pray your Holy Spirit would call them home. Just like that father and the prodigal, you're waiting, but you're waiting for them to come home. So Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not repented fully, Christian or non-Christian, and you know what that means, if you have not repented fully, 100%, God, right now, I pray people all over this room would be saying, I confess and I surrender to you and to you alone. I confess and I surrender to you alone. Forgive me for my stubborn pride. Forgive me for my unwillingness to surrender that part of my life. Forgive me. I believe what you said, that by grace, through faith, you will forgive me if I come to you. So I come to you. And oh God, even as I said earlier, when people surrender, may you come to them with supernatural peace and supernatural joy and supernatural love. God, do a work here in your people. Lord, don't let us leave here the same. In Jesus' name. Amen.